So here we are. It's episode 28, I believe. We're almost at 30. How mad is that? Um, I, I think we should have, we would have reached 30 far sooner, but I had a break at Christmas because of reasons. Anyway, hello, hello, it is a Wednesday. It's also fairly late. It's uh, 6.30 here in the UK. I'm sounding des- decidedly British because I'm tired. And um, if this sounds a little bit brighter and crisper, it's because I finally got around to buying a microphone boom arm. Um, I bought a cheap one. I didn't buy an expensive one because uh, that's going to be saved for when I move house because that's going to happen. Anyway, um, I didn't really have an idea of what to do with today's episode, but doing a Instagram takeover uh, with Louis Parkinson, who's a fairly, I'd say, highly well-respected climber um, in the climbing community. Uh, in the UK at least, he's an ex-Team GB climber, I did a IG takeover uh, to share my experiences of climbing while black. Uh, in case you didn't notice, I am pretty black. So I, f- I felt maybe kind of uh, pulling apart some ideas and that would be a good idea and then I, sta- I started thinking a little bit more and I was like, ooh, what about the business side of things? Because um, I don't really talk much about business, and I think it's it's important to share, you know, these these uh, life changing things that happen to us sometimes, either by our own vocation or by someone kind of planting a seed in your head. And I like to think sometimes I do plant some seeds. So, bouldering in business, it kind of rolls off the tongue quite sexily, doesn't it? Um, it's it's going to be weird. I'm going to probably be moving back and forth from, from the microphone because it's in a, a different position. And I'm so used to my head movements being in a certain way and how I have to like change everything um, because that's really relevant to today's episode. So, with the IG story takeover, takeover Tuesdays, uh, Louis... Um, asked me just to, you know, take over and and do a thing. And I have to be honest, like we we chatted um probably a week beforehand and I I was like, yeah, no, cool, totally. I'd 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 love to, you know, share my experiences and, and all that jazz. And and he's like, okay, cool, this will be the date, this will be the time, da da da. I'm like, okay, cool, great. Next day, holy crap, what the hell am I getting myself into? Like, I I don't know what I had to share. I didn't think I had anything of value to share, mostly because um, I suppose the way my parents protected and raised me means the way I interact with the world um, is for the most part very, very different. Like I do not experience extreme racism from people of a different color. I experience extreme prejudices and racism from people of my own color, but that's, you know, um, no, that, 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 that'll be part of today's topic. And, um, I didn't really want to put that out into the space of, um, Louis's platform. Um, in hindsight, maybe I should have, but I didn't really, I, I didn't want a bloodbath. Let's just put it that way. Um, it's really important to kind of decide where your wars are going to be held and what battles you want to engage in because they're not the same wars and battles are um you know you do some battles to win the war uh you don't you rarely just go straight to the war you know without doing a few battles so 
um, trying to think of a way to kind of share my experiences and still tackle and address the issue of, of racism within the climbing space was quite tricky. And I, I thought many, 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 many times that I wanted to just pull out of it entirely, not do the takeover Tuesday, go back into my little hovel and just be little Shiggy that does her thing, that has a cute little podcast that shares weird videos and, and pictures and stuff that makes people happy on Instagram and Facebook. And, and, you know, that's my lot. But a little part of me just was like, but why? Like, you're being given the opportunity to share your ideas and your thoughts to a much larger platform um, in light of the whole George Floyd and Black Lives Matters kind of critical mass movement. Um, you're actively seeking ways to create your version of adding to a positive solution by way of making an LGBTQ plus POC climbing space. Um, to encourage more people of color to come and climb because climbing is amazing. So, you know, as is normal, having that internal conversation for days on end and just kind of calming the panicked little chihuahua in the back of your head, going, we're all gonna die, man, we're all gonna die, don't do it, don't post it, everyone's gonna eat your head. Um, Because that's what my panicked little chihuahua thinks about. And um, I went with it, I went, I went and did it, and I'm, again... I think I mentioned this, not last episode, but episode before, um, having really supportive friends around you from an entirely broad spectrum um, of races, cultures, ethnicities, everything. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd befriend a blowfish if they were amenable. Um, that sounded less weird in my head. Wow. Anyway, um, <laughs> Uh, it's been a long old day. Um, so I went with it and, and I posted and I, I ended up actually writing what one can only describe as essays. And I haven't had that many personal, full-on racial experiences in the climbing community in the UK um, or Europe, to be honest, I haven't, I haven't done a lot of Europe and that needs to change. And it was going to change last year, but you know, my mom killed herself. So I had to deal with that awkward. And, um, just talking about the UK, I, I can't really fault the UK's climbing scene in a sense of having overt racism, right? The UK has a huge, huge problem with this subversive, um, implicit bias, kind of systemic racism, um, that's everywhere, but no one talks about it. Like literally the idea of, um, having a conversation about maybe you think about things a little bit wrongly, maybe you're a little bit wrong, maybe, you know, there's bad things afoot. The idea of talking about that, oh, oh, no, 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 Gertrude, Gertrude, we don't, we don't talk about such things on the dinner table. Go to your bedroom. You've been a very bad bad person. Again, sounded less weird in my head. It's been a long day. And um, I think I alluded to this again, either in the last uh, last episode or the episode before, there's this insidious wiping under the carpet nature that the UK has when it comes to racism. And, um, oh, someone's banging things outside. And 
a friend of mine pointed this out to me when I went went to to their, their birthday party a couple of weekends ago. So I again probably mentioned this last episode. Um, the racial issue that America has is older than the racial issue the UK has. And I'm saying that, and I agree with it, and it was a little bit mind-blowing, when you compare the US racial issue and try to find similarities in the UK racial issue, right? So what I mean with that is in the US, um, slave trade existed, like full-on, in-your-face, pulling people from Africa onto ships across the Oh my God, I've forgotten my oceans. Anyway, that one between, I think it's the Atlantic. I'm almost certain it's the Atlantic because it got a Pacific Isles. Anyway, that mass of water, right? Pulling black folk from Africa and chucking them into US to go work fields, right? That as a phenomenon, uh, being an American phenomenon, I think I could be wrong. It's not somewhere that I've done a lot of studying in. It is on my to-do list. I've probably got about four months before I reach that bit. I have a whole curriculum of myself. It's wonderful. If as and when you hear this, you want to know what my curriculum is, find me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Send me a message. I'll happily send it to you. I might actually make a page of it. Um, being a third culture kid, wait, a post-colonial culture kid, um, trying to understand why you know black people are being so hard done by one in Kenya. Like, we're not doing too bad. Um, so America's specific flavor of slavery is older than the UK's version of that, right? Which is kind of a weird thing to to think about because the UK clearly has had slavery for a far, far longer time. Um, I saw a thing on one of the Black History Instagram pages that I follow that showed at a certain point, I think in the 1600s, um, there were black people in the UK living and existing and, well, I don't know if they're cohabiting, but being of equal stature with their white British counterparts um, ages ago. And then something happened. And I don't know if that's entirely true. I saw pictures that were, you know, old. They could have been doctored. I don't know. But I'd like to think that maybe there are these little pockets of history that genuinely represent what happened rather than the propaganda we're taught in schools. So, I am going off on a tangent. I'm going to try and pull it back. Uh, the UK's racism issue is different because the UK created an empire. Right? Oh, people outside shouting now. Great. Um, the UK created an empire, right? So they went out into the world and established themselves all over the place. Good Lord. Oh, I see them. I see actual humans outside for once. And there's a little puppy. It's a chihuahua from my head. Anyway, so the UK created a British empire, right? So they went and, and shipped around the place and, and went and gone, this is mine and this is mine and this is mine and your spices are mine and this is mine and what, what, this is mine and, and that human is mine and that's mine. And, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, colonializing, colonizer, right? Ooh, colonizers. And what they did is they they had their slavery in those countries, right? They didn't bring them back to the UK because the UK is tiny, right? And you can't bring the entire British Empire and have it land on your lap. Although, how are you guys doing with that right now? Um, so as a result, you know, 
they would do their atrocities in those countries and still be able to leave and come back home and be like, well, there's no problems. We're fine. Everything's fine. Britain is great. England is great. And we have an empire and we're rich. Raha, ha, more, more Earl Grey tea, ha, Darjeeling. Um, I'm very, very crudely simplifying the crap out of this just for the sake of, of you know, um, getting a message across. Basically, the U.S. is in your face. Like, we're going to pull people from villages in Africa and take them, excuse me, take them to um, the U.S. to work the fields, right? And then start having societal, psychological implications implanted into both the white, the Native Americans and black people at that time that creates this narrative that's now 300 odd years old, okay? British people didn't have that. They had the idea of, you know, these leaders and saviors going out, you know, war veterans and soldiers going out to go and deal with savages and make the world a better place in accordance with Britain, right? So, they're led to believe that people like Winston Churchill and the other person who was a slave trader and got chucked in, in the river or whatever, I can't even, I don't even know what his name is. Anyway, a lot of these people are held up and seen as saviors and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, so the conversations that are being had in both of these places are very, very different. They're very, very, very similar, but they're very, very different and require very, very different tools to discuss. Now, I know that's a huge divergence away from bouldering and business, um, but it's it's really crucial to kind of cover um, at least the overview of what I wrote. Apparently, according to Medium, I wrote a nine-minute piece, which is amazing. They're usually five minutes long. I will link um, that story in the show notes, uh, the horrible, horrible show notes. <laughs> I don't know formatting on, on podcasts. It's all weird. It's like HTML, but not HTML, but it is, but it isn't. You do this, it works on this one, then it breaks the other one. It's like having Internet Explorer all over the place. Horrible. Anyway, there'll be a link in there to my Medium post where I collated all four of my posts on on Louis' Instagram uh, together into one big old, po- big old post. And I think it's an introduction, um, complacency, community, and continuity. Those are the four hashtags I used in the post, so you can kind of break it down and see what's going on there. So with this weird difference in um, systemic racism and the conversations we need to have around racism, um, what I posted in my posts was addressing the insidious nature and the huge knee-jerk reaction a lot of people in this country have in denying that there's an issue. You know, it's so much easier to deny things and say, no, 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 that's wrong. It, it didn't happen. It never happened. You're making things up. I'm like, hashtag file it under things that never exist for a hundred pounds. Like, why is that so easy to just say, no, it's not a problem, right? Rather than being like, hey, how about, oh God, they're having a really loud conversation outside. Maybe I need to go to the bathroom. Um, I'm stuck here now. We're, we're going to go through it. You're here to the end with me. Um, so rather than the knee-jerk reaction of like, no, 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 utter poppycock, didn't happen, just file it under, you know, things that didn't happen for 100 pounds. How about going, hey, I feel like this isn't true, but what would happen if I accepted that maybe this was a truth? Like, let, let's create a scenario that this actually did happen. 
how do I help make that not happen again? What can I do to proactively ensure the spaces that I'm in don't um, add to that, right? And this doesn't happen, and it's so easy. This is this is a, a behavioral psychology um, 102. It's not it's not quite 101, 102 kind of thing. Um, and it's in it's in in uh, what's it neuro neuro linguistic pro- uh, programming, right? NLP. You got reframing, framing, and reframing, and then there's another kind of technique that has completely disappeared off my head. But um, oh, there's the what if principle as well, which is quite good to to embrace. So when you have these situations that someone's telling you an experience or someone's telling you of a uh, globally held experience from a specific group of people, right? Rather than you going, well, I've never seen it, so it mustn't happen or it didn't happen and you're a liar and I want to save face and I want to be correct, just kind of go, okay, so let's just say this did happen. You don't need to actively say that, okay? That causes problems. Just be quiet and be like, okay, cool. Have your internal monologue, like okay, let's 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 play the game, and just really deeply dive into this. Let me let me see if I can try and understand the feelings, the emotion, the pain, the embarrassment, the rejection. These crucial um, human experiences, negative human experiences, that really really do a lot of mental harm to people. Like imagine a baby not being hugged for its first. For, for forever, however long, right? The, the longer a child or a baby goes unhugged, the more damaging it is to their mental state of being, right? They, they develop codependency issues and attachment issues way, way, way quicker than babies and children who are at, at the very least given bodily hugs, okay? Another diversion, but we're coming back. So you use the what if principle, use the reframe principle if you're just reading something and you can't have an actual discussion with people and go, what if that situation is true and what can I do to help make that like not happen? How can I help eradicate these problems? And it's really, really annoying that that doesn't happen. Now I know, you know, there's such a huge uh, um, spectrum of people out there that, you know, you are going to have thankfully a larger percentage of people who believe these stories and experiences and do go out and reach and kind of go, how can I help? On the flip side, I do see, and I appreciate sometimes that, you know, people of color kind of go, I'm not your black Google search engine. I'm not your this. I'm not your that. I'm not doing the work for you. I've been tired. I've been doing this for years. Go do your own fucking work. Fair. Totally fair. And that person should go and Google and just start with like racism 101 and start expanding. I still say at the time of this going out, like during the kind of pandemic space of 2020, July 2020, um, still going to Amazon's bestsellers, like overall bestsellers is a good place to start because at least in the UK, there's a lot of black literature up there that is designed to educate non-black people or anyone, anyone, because I'm I'm black and I'm uneducated, or at least I feel I'm I'm uneducated in the space of UK and US racism. Um there's a lot of literature out there for you to read. Okay. So if you do have your uh BIPOC friend and they're like, I'm not the one cis bro, then be like, cool, okay, I'm gonna go do the Google, right? But equally I feel sometimes um when BIPOC people get angry about that sort of thing 
it's understandable. It's, it's you know, you're tired. You don't want to keep on doing it. Um, but every now and then, just a little bit of compassion, you can help one person kind of, you know, expand into uh, um, being a lifelong, not just a temporary, a lifelong ally. So yeah, huge diversion there. But it's all really relevant because of the the small conversations that were I, I had. Surprisingly, I think the essays I wrote um, discouraged people from writing kind of quick, witty, or very tone-deaf posts. Um, I'm still looking at them now, and, and no one's really kind of saying anything counter. I did have one person uh, who after a few exchanges, I realized was one of those hashtag all lives matters people. Like there's problems everywhere. Like everything should be a thing and there's problems. Da, 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 da. I'm just like, dude, you're right, but I'm black. And this is my battle. Like my battles and wars are around black people because that's what I am. That's what I can help in an imme- immediate fashion. And especially in the climbing space, like I love climbing. I love martial arts. And in those spaces, I am going to do the most I can. I don't do politics. I don't understand politics. Words to me are fun, but when they start getting heated and stuff, I start confusing my words. And then I get this weird screaming, my little screaming chihuahua starts screaming in Swahili and I can't say words and I get really anxious and confuddled and I just decide to be quiet. So I don't do that space. I do what I'm good at. You do what you're good at. Everyone is good at something and everyone should figure out a way to help. And with climbing, it's really, really easy where you should just look at your circle of friends. And if they all look like you, right, that's where you start. Go and find climbing buddies who look different to you. You know, go and find climbing buddies. um, Go and find friends who have never done climbing before. And they're like, no, that's not my thing. And be like, dude, let's just go and hang out. Like, we'll literally just climb for, like, 45 minutes or whatever. Just have a little bit of a thing, and then we'll go and, like, have lunch or something. Turn it into a social event. Make climbing not the focus. Make having a cheeky Nando's a focus. Oops. Um, I do love a cheeky Nando's after climbing with a Kenyan beer. Best thing ever. But the pub that I usually go to don't, don't do Kenyan beer anymore, which makes me sad. But, yeah, so this is this has gone on for a while, man. Just too many analogies and not enough... Um, deconstructing uh, situations, but I, th- I think I've I got there in the end. Um, so yeah, with, with bouldering and the post that I did on, on Louis' takeover, the questions were fun. I did a Q&A for the entire day. Um, and people were like, you know, how do you find being black in X space? How do you find your interactions with people being black in Y space? And because of my background, having a Holocaust survivor of a father and a post-colonial bodybuilder of a mother, um, they protected me and cultivated or created my understanding of the world in such a way that one, for the most part, I refuse people's racism, which is an interesting, weird thing to actually outwardly admit um, because it's ignorance. And where possible, I will educate people out of ign- ignorance, right? And I know that's not everyone's job, but it's some people's jobs. And I know that's mine. Um I don't know if I mentioned it in the in the fifth episode of this podcast, but I'll, I'll mention it again real quick before we go into part two. Um, I dated a guy at uni, white guy at uni, and he warned me that, you know, his parents aren't too keen on black people. And he had a cousin who was like an outright, outright racist, right? Live in a tiny little village in the middle of nowhere. 
And I was just like, okay, cool. That's that's cool. I can I can deal with that. Like, you know, half my family's white, so we've got something in common. Huh? Um he found that kind of funny, but it was a nervous laugh. So we went over and you know, the dad wasn't too keen on me. The mom was like, oh, you know, just just whatever, kind of just being being nice. You know, I'm I'm staying in your house for a few nights, so uh and I'm sleeping in the same bed with your son. So, you know, <laughs> there's that. Um, but by the end of that, like both the dad and the mum were quite amenable. Um, I don't know if, if they just were saving face because maybe maybe the boyfriend decided to to tell them, like, she's here for a while, so you better just be nice. Um, or maybe like having conversations, and I was alone with them a few times, which was a little bit harrowing, um, helped. You know, I I answered all questions, I let them say things and politely corrected them, and it kind of turned out being better. And the same thing with with uh, the cousin, like you know, again the stern, like what the fuck is she doing here? Um, I've deliberately kind of uh, obfuscated that accent so no one knows who I'm talking about. And um, by the end of it, he was kind of alright. He's like, you know, you're not like the rest of them. I'm like, dude, we're literally a bag of skittles, um, just like white people are a bag of skittles. <laughs> uh, I've gone on too long, but yeah. Um, the bouldering takeover was interesting and um my experiences were very very mild in comparison but i feel that they were still very very important to try and at least show how people can personally have their own little corner of being proactive and being anti-racist because that's what it comes down to being um I got educated and, and, you know, I'm fully behind the idea of being anti-racist. I think being anti-racist is really, really important now. Um, and being proactive and showing and doing and living and breathing and for it to become so normal that if someone says, are you anti-racist? You're like, of course you're, you're not, you know, like, are you a feminist? Of course I'm a feminist. There are different levels to being a feminist, but everyone by and large who, you know, is very pro-woman and thinks women have an equal standing to men or feminists by and large you know that's that i think i'm gonna stop it there it's amazing how when you think you have absolutely nothing to talk about all of a sudden an entire topic just seems to come out of your mouth um, I promise this site's going to be shorter because it's it's covering business. Um, and I was thinking of going through the generic side of things, but like I I figured why why not? If it's my podcast, I'm going to talk about the businesses that I do, in a view to maybe help people, anyone out there who eventually listens to this, whether it's now or in thirty years time or part of some weird time capsule I decide to create as part of my departing gift to the world it sounds so egotistical <laughs> anyway um mental diversions aside and being self-employed you know is is <sighs> for some people being able to flip flop out of being fully employed and going into self-employment is a privilege right um having having the ability to to conform and obey in in quotation marks to other people but equally be being able to have that that um 
I can't think of any other word other, other than a shudspa. Um, that kind of, uh, of you know, essence of you, that that means you can kind of be a self-starter and create business and work and, and living for yourself. Um, so far of the spectrum of things, like some people either have one or they have the other. I would say the only place of privilege that would exist. And I hate the word in its current form because it's it's being bastardized to to within an inch of itself and given hugely negative connotations which i think is is fundamentally wrong um but if you have the ability to flip and flop in out of full-time employment and uh being self-employed that is a space of privilege um but for a lot of us um we kind of try and squeeze ourselves into shapes and spaces that don't ultimately serve us so I, my, my work history is weird. I've got the, one of the world's longest CVs, probably. Um, it's shortened now because I stopped doing everything, but, um, my, you know, my, my work life was very hands-on and I did work for people never in a, you know, clerical office doing Excel spreadsheets from nine in the, in the morning till five in the evening kind of thing. Uh, I've, I was about to say, I've never had a nine to five job, but I did work at Yellow Pages from 8.30 to 4.30, technically still not a nine to five job. Haha. And so other than the Yellow Pages of which I lasted, I think either eight or 10 months. And why are, why are kids bashing boxes now? Like, aren't they meant to be eating food at seven? Um, (laughs) uh, Shy of Yellow Pages, I lasted about eight to ten months, and then you know I got signed up with clinical depression and uh, anxiety. Yeah, those two alien life forms that seemed to have cropped their head up with that work. And I was on antidepressants, and they kept on upping the dosage, and I just decided to like quit the job, and I felt fine. Weird. Um, I've never really done an office job, right? Other than Yellow Pages as a graphic designer, I've never really done um, the typical, stereotypical nine to five, eight thirty to four thirty style. Uh, click like a chicken on a computer all day kind of job. Mostly because I learned from a very, very early age that it doesn't serve me. And it's kind of sad that a lot of people get put through, you know, you, you do kindergarten, primary school, secondary school, college or whatever, maybe uni, you know, you do all these um, structured things that force you into a box, right? And you're probably not a square you're probably a magnificent butterfly that needs to roam around for a bit, get stung a few times, and then figure out what it is you actually want to do with your life. And that's what your 20s are, or that's what your 20s should be. But a lot of people get fast-tracked into like, you know, the kind of um, humdrum of life, and all you get rewarded with is, you know, maybe a little bit better financial pay, of which if you live in a city like London, like 60% of your income goes on rent, and then you're expected to have a life on the 30% after that, which is a weird, weird, weird way of existing. But you don't know that until you come out the other end, or unless you start kind of realizing early on that, hey, this isn't normal. Like, why am I doing any of this? This this, does, this doesn't feel right. And then you start reading books like uh, Ramit Sethi's uh, I will teach you how to be rich, which is a very clickbaity title. It's actually not, uh, well, it is, but it's more about personal finance. So you read that book. I'm telling you, go read the book. Go do it now. Shoo, shoo, shoo. There's an audio book as well, obviously. Um, 
Tim Ferriss's four hour work week completely blew my mind the first time I read it. Um, I think I did a, a, I did a light deep dive of that in my little season two of book reviews that, uh, reviewing books that changed my life. Um, and one lately that I had the pleasure of actually working on and, and creating an audiobook of, so I'm going to be slightly biased, is a book called The Money Shot by Damien Fogg. Um, I'll link all of these into the show notes for you. You're welcome. And um, you know, learning about permanent, uh, permanent personal finance and what that means to you and how it should look and, you know, things that are probably mad. And if you're willing to accept it, then cool. If you don't accept it, you know, ways to get around that are really, really important. So whilst a full-time job, you know, in in your 20s and 30s, I mean, I'm only 34, so I'm not exactly that far gone from my 20s, um, is really great to have. But now, you know, things are becoming really unstable. Jobs are, you know, disappearing quicker than they're appearing. Um, university degrees, a lot of the Mickey Mouse degrees aren't really um, worth much. It's gotten really noisy, but they're also really, really relevant and required if you do want to apply for a job. I remember in a business I was working at, I was uh, head of, well, I was COO, chief of operations, something. I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to forget that time. It was a bad time, but it had its lessons. And I did recruitment. And weirdly enough, a university degree was just a really good quick tick to, you know, kind of pull people of a higher level of like, maybe they are capable of just doing tasks, you know, without slacking. <laughs> um, but I digress. So, you know, do, doing all of that is all well and good, but there is another side, you know, so you've got your full-time employment, all that kind of stuff, the perks you get, you live for the weekend, you get your evenings to yourself, maybe, you know, you wake up at five in the morning, get your workout in and then, you know, get to the office for nine, blah, 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 blah. Fine. Great. If that's for you, that makes my palm sweaty. Like right now, my palms are beating up with little bits of sweat, kind of going, why would you even entertain entertain the idea? Because for so long, I've been self-employed and I've, I've thought of things, I've thought of ideas, I've thought of ways of helping people and getting paid for it because that's all it is. And it's not sleazy. There's nothing bad about it. It is just the way it is. Um, and when you're self-employed, you know, you are you are doing all the business things. Maybe you start as an individual and eventually become a business. That is a thing too. Maybe you stay a freelancer forever and just go gig, 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 gig to gig. No giggity. Um, the gig economy is huge and getting bigger forever and ever. Like if you do programming, like you can pick up a job fairly well for now. Um, how long that's going to last, no one knows, but you know, this is the way of the world. And I did some office jobs that weren't really office jobs. I did some security jobs. I did corporate security once. And I think I lasted 18 months until I, I left that and then went into the Olympics, um, which I suppose, again, is kind of, you know, it it was a weirdly contracted job. It wasn't full-time, although it felt full-time sometimes when we were in Canary Wharf. And with that, you know, the hours were mad, 16-hour days, very, very normal. Um working for, working under other people, again, weird flex, but it, it, it worked. But ultimately, you're still your own boss, you know. Um, and I think that's really, really important to, to if you find you're struggling in the world of, of full-time employment, you know, the work isn't really rewarding, the people aren't really great, your social life is kind of meh, um, 
no, you're just doing it because that's what your parents want you to do, or you're doing it because that's what you think you should do. Branch out, reach out, look for other things. There's so many motivational speakers out there who give you permission to do the hustle, to do the side hustle, to do like, you know, something on the side, just to feel it out. Whilst you have the security of a full-time job, you know, rather than going out in the evenings and going getting completely blottoed with like your work colleagues, you know, you go home, eat a really good meal, spend four to six hours studying a new skill or something, you know, that really interests you. Say you do that for a year, right? Whether you, you turn that into something and start leaning into it a little bit more and then pulling away from your job, or you just learn a new skill set, that's an amazing bonus. Um, I realize that this feels completely separate to the previous section, and I'm and I'm rolling with it. I think it's important because, um, you know, I, I have been on the anti-racism thing for a while, and I have lots of other things I like talking about, and uh, this feels right right now. So you're going to get another few minutes of this. If you want it to be a separate thing, tell me, you know, whenever you, whenever you hear this, tell me, and I'll gladly expand on it. But, um, you know, being being unafraid of maybe downsizing the way you live, you know, live a little bit like a student for a little bit longer. I still live like a student, although I live on my own in a one bedroom flat and I pay (laughs) next to nothing for it. Like uh, of my income, maybe 45% of my income is on, is on rent as opposed to the 60, 70 odd. Cause I just find that ridiculous. Like I could move to a nice place um, but I, I, I refuse to give over half of my income to rent. That's, that's madness. That way madness lies. And also as a buffer, it means in times like this, I am not stressing out with not being able to pay rent and stuff because work has dropped, but you know, I'm probably now at 70% of my income being rent. Um, but that's okay. Anyway, huge digression back onto being self-employed. So you've got the full-time stuff. Being self-employed is tough. Okay. Being self-employed means you have to hustle twice as hard, sometimes for half the benefits, right? But if you persevere and find something that you really, really enjoy doing, or a few things, I really hate when people say, just focus on one thing. If you have a shiny cookie brain, like I do, focusing on one thing is literally worse than death. There, I said it. And I'm going to say it again because I really believe in it. Focusing solely on one thing thing for a huge amount of time, going to expand on it a little bit, is worse than death, right? Imagine having a super-powered computer, right? Having the, 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 the next level IBM supercomputer that can play Go and win, okay? Which is the, the Chinese board game Go, right? Supercomputer that can do that and multiple other tasks at the same time. It's got so much RAM, it's insane, Right? Imagine having that and just being told to lick cheese. Now, it might be kind of interesting for the first five seconds, but after that, you'd probably really rather gouge your eyes out with a rusty spoon, okay? Salad fingers. And I think it's really important for people to understand and know, especially if if you're this way inclined, that it's okay to have you know, two things running at the same time, maybe even three. Don't get crazy though, okay? If you start trying to do a gazillion things at the same time, things will fall. Your plates that you're spinning will fall. Three spinning plates, you know, that's what your brain's designed to do. And and you can roll with those spinning plates easily. If you try going 
over whatever your threshold is. I've got one friend I know who's doing five different things simultaneously. Two of them are doing really, really well. Three of them are just hobby things. Fine. Still technically two things, even though they're doing five. I am doing two things, although technically I have four. And that's fine. You know, um, being self-employed, it, it, there's a lot of guilt behind it. Um, I'm working through guilt right now with like my sleeping schedule because for some reason I seem to want to, I think that waking up at 7.30 in the morning and going to bed at 11.30 at night is the right thing to do. For who? For whom? For when? For why? Like who decided to come up into Shiggy's head and, and you know, decide that some arbitrary 11.30 till 7.30 is a good sleeping time? I don't sleep until 2 most nights. If I'm tired, I might sleep at midnight. If I'm exhausted, I will definitely be in bed by 11, right? But that's once a month, if you're lucky. And then I wake up at 9.45. 9.30, seems to be the window I wake up earlier if the sun is doing its thing. Um, but, you know, and, and I'm, I feel guilty with that, but it's actually okay to have a different sleeping schedule. Going to sleep at two in the morning and waking up at nine in the morning is not bad. I'm still getting, you know, nine hours of sun, nine plus hours of sunlight. So it's not like I'm going to die, keel over and die. <laughs> um, so yeah, when, when it comes to being self-employed, like you, you do work hard, you know, my, my days keep on going sometimes. Like I had a client a day before yesterday, no, today, technically today, um, give me their audio files for a podcast at midnight. Their podcast is due to go at six in the morning on Wednesday. So I had six hours to edit their podcast. It took me 50 minutes because we've worked together for so long. I've automated so many things, but ultimately, um, you know, you are your own boss and you will have to work twice as hard, but the rewards at the end of it, I am like 90% sure end up being way better than that of someone who's stuck in a nine to five job who gets 25 days of holiday a year. Like that's crazy. If I want to take a day off, I take a day off. Like I'd probably take a total of maybe two and a half months off a year, like collectively excluding weekends and bank holidays. Like how can you have 25 days of holiday a year? That's mad. Um, even in the one job that I, I did for a while, like I managed to amass, I think we got 28 days of holiday, which was like, oh my God, it's amazing. Um, it's mad. But yeah, I, I'm I'm tired, actually. This is crazy. I'm never going to do a podcast this late in the evening. It's it's uh, gone seven. Um, but that was a little a, a little ramble for for people. You know, if you're, if you're stuck in a job, you're not stuck in a job. Even if you've got kids and a mortgage and, you know, loans that you need to pay out. I have loads of loans that I'm, I'm repaying. But, you know, you just talk to the companies and, and get that adjusted. But um, wherever you are, if things aren't feeling right for you, address it now because you still have time. OK, do the thing, address it, try something else, start looking into other avenues, start kind of looking at, you know, maybe relearning a skill and, and you know, uh, increasing your skill set so you're more desirable at work or you become completely desirable to a different industry that maybe interests you. Um, life rewards are really, really important. And if your work isn't rewarding, you're, you're wasting the best years of your life to a business ideology space, 
um, entity that doesn't really make you happy. So, um, have a word with yourself. Like, it's your life. You can do what you want with it, obviously, to a point. If you've got kids and a wife and stuff like that, or partners or whatever, then, you know, keep them in mind. But it's still your life. So that felt like two separate podcasts shoved together by music. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm shooting from the hip here. You know, sometimes things are going to be a hit. Sometimes things are going to be a little bit random. If I'm honest, I'm actually uh, procrastinating because I want to do a music episode. Uh, I have all these instruments that I, I you know, I don't, I, I don't get to play in my flat because of the nature of my flat, which is really annoying. And I really want to do a music episode, um, but that will happen soon. In any case, I hope the nature of this podcast helped in some way, shape, or form, or at least you found it some way amusing. <laughs> the energy of me has disappeared out of my soul and into my hands and I need food um, I won't do a late podcast again but anyway, thank you so much for listening um, I'll do another episode next Wednesday huh. will it be a music episode? will it not be a music episode? nobody knows until then, stay safe with the madness all out there and I'll see you soon okay, bye